You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Today we're talking about Death on the Nile, actually a movie that's had an eventful kind of production and promotion journey because of COVID. Um, we're going to start actually by watching the original trailer from 2020. The romance of the desert. has the power to seduce. I ask you. Have you ever loved so much? Been so possessed by jealousy. you might kill them. You had something to hide. The crime is murder. Should have hidden it, shouldn't you? The murderer is one of you. I don't feel safe here. I don't feel safe with any of them. It's too late to change events. It's time to face the consequences. I have investigated many crimes, but this has altered the shape of my soul. I am Detective Hercule Poirot, and I will deliver your killer. Wow. Well, I saw this movie a week ago, Roger. Yeah, and same here. <laughs> really? And yeah. what an experience. We'll, we'll go into the details in a moment, but just very quickly. Stunning, loved all the characters. They, they, they did a superb job. And yes, I would argue that in a way the marketing campaign cleverly kept a lot from the audience. You know, there's no spoilers as such, is there? No, absolutely right. And, and you know, the marketing campaign, as we'll see, um, focused in on quite a lot on the ensemble cast. You know, a lot of the social media activity that they put into this film was showcasing the characters and showcasing the locations and showcasing the absolutely glorious colour palette that they used in this film. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. They gave very, very little away. What must be frustrating for filmmakers is to be in a situation where you work very, very hard to build on the success of the Murder on the Orient Express. You have aspiration to release a movie late 2019, you know, early 2020, and then it keeps being pushed and pushed. I mean, very much like um, No Time to Die. 
And in the process, things start to get a little difficult with regard to the promotion. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you can imagine the sort of conversations he must have had. I mean, this film has been pushed back, rescheduled very, very many times, obviously from the point of view of the pandemic. But I think the first time it was pushed back was actually a production issue, wasn't it? They they were behind in production or, or, or something. And so it was pushed back, um, originally set to be released in December 2019. And it was pushed further back after that. And then, of course, the pandemic started, which caused it to be pushed back because of the the lockdowns across the world. And then they were hit um, with all sorts of other potential issues surrounding some controversial stuff happening with some of the stars of the film. Um, you know, um, it was alleged that uh, some of the stars of the film were, were sort of anti-vaxxers, and that created quite a lot of um, negative publicity. So they decided to hold back on launching the film until that died down. So you can almost think that maybe they were getting to the point where they were going to wonder whether they were ever going to get this film released until finally, finally, that it came out towards the end of February. Yeah, yeah. And and what, what what's um, interesting f- for me and you and I, you know, I would have wished to have been a fly on the wall because what kind of meetings and conversations are they actually quite familiar with the highs and lows and trials and tribulations of film promotions. So it wasn't particularly stressful or was it actually very frustrating because like all of us in business, you had the stop and start, you know, that there was times where restrictions were lifted and they came back on. Then there was red and the greens. It, it would have been just impossible. And actually because of the lack of traveling to try and organize a premiere, you know, in 2020, 2021, and even today is very difficult. Yeah, and, and 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 let's face it, when you've got a film like this, which has got a whole plethora of big stars, you know, it's an ensemble cast, so there's loads of people involved. I imagine the logistics of getting them all together for a premiere must have been horrendous. So you've done the, the research on, on this one, and for me, what has been fascinating to observe is the very clear adoption of, of a style of mm-hmm. a color palette, but also leaning on the art deco of that kind of 1920s, 30s era. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, it's a long time since a movie's colors and design have blown me away. And yeah, art deco, again, I really love that sort of style. Ironically, I mentioned roller coasters before. Uh, Blackpool Pleasure Beach, which I mentioned, which is where I was growing up, a lot of the buildings in there in Blackpool Pleasure Beach are art deco. So I grew up loving that style. There's another little uh, side. Do you know, what I love about this whole thing is the depth of the colour palette. I mean, it's gorgeous, isn't it? It's, it's really warm and brown and golden. But even the 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 logo of Death on the Nile, the actual types typeface, is utter genius in the way that they've simply dropped the crossbar from the A so that, of course, it looks like a pyramid. I mean, it's delightfully, ridiculously simple, but immediately you know it's about um, Egypt. It's well, just fabulous. I would agree. And so you have that kind of, I'm going to say, sunset. It feels like it's a sunset that has been captured and that kind of gold and rich orange. And for you and I, that's obviously the golden hour as well, where you can mm-hmm. get the best. And for those of you who have not seen Death on the Nile, you could be 
forgiven to think, oh, here we go again. This kind of ensemble cast going to be the who's who of Hollywood and and the UK. Uh, I, w- I will remind you that that's exactly how films used to be made, including the original one from 1978 with Peter Ustinov. And that is not the distraction. I will say credit to Kenneth Branagh. He gets such quality performance from everybody, including the one that had a few um, eyebrows being raised, Russell Brand. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the original um, tweet that went out to start the campaign was so far, so long ago now, the 1st of October 2019, um, that tweet that went out is simply a photograph, uh, is, uh, is a graphic of, with the Death on the Nile logo at the top, and then in a pyramid shape with Hercule Poirot, Kenneth Branagh at the top, and then underneath a growing number of um, stars to create that pyramid shape, immediately tells you it's an ensemble cast, immediately gives you that um, variety of actors and actresses from across the world, the variety, the diversity, and it's an absolutely gorgeous graphic. Even from the very first tweet, you knew the quality of what you were going to get here. They then, at this, pretty much at the same time, we revealed the um, the teaser poster with still, you know, the date of October twenty twenty. I mean, it, my heart just goes <laughs> goes to them. So they have repeated this gorgeous title using those five fine line from the Art Deco. You've got the the list of of the actors in the smoke of of that Karnak kind of uh, ship and but nothing is given away i was even being a bit nerdy i must confess and was zooming into the poster roger to see there was any little hints as we've seen in in other films i was thinking oh i wonder if the uh, the smoke coming out of the uh, the steamboat is shaped like a skull but of course that would be a bit too cheesy for something as classy as death on the nile or maybe you were f- zooming in on the photograph of the cabins to see whether you could spot somebody with a knife in their hand or something like that <laughs> No, so, so it feels to me that there was two campaigns. There was the, the, the first attempt at releasing the movie, then they had to backtrack, and then they had a second attempt. I think the gain, obviously, from there in terms of the execution on, on social media, but that meant that they had to cut a second trailer. Yeah, they had to cut a second trailer. Um, and effectively, they th- there was a year between the two campaigns, effectively, wasn't there? Um, and and I, I guess that um, even though the film was pushed back a few times, there was this period of time where there was a whole year and there was a bit of controversy. So Army Hammer, who was one of the um, stars of the film, uh, got mixed up with um, accusations of cannibalism and sexual abuse i don't want to go into the details of that i don't think it's it's really um appropriate for the, for the content of the show but of course it it creates a backlash doesn't it and and it puts a spot a negative spotlight unfortunately on the production on top of that uh gal gadot who is um, one of the the um, stars of the film appeared in a video early in the lockdown which didn't go down very well at all they did a version of um, john lennon's imagine uh but i think it, i think the tone was a bit off and that created a lot of controversy as well and then there were reports that Wright and Russell Brand were ardent anti-vaxxers and that created a load of controversy as well and so I I just I think the marketing guys just thought you know what we are going to keep quiet until all of this dies down and then 
once we have a firm date, we're going to effectively reboot the campaign. And uh, and that that's when we get that second trailer. And effectively, the second campaign didn't start until December 2021. One thing I did want to just quickly mention was that as part of the first campaign, um, once they delayed the film beyond the original launch date, which was, as you say, in October, that pushed it into... November for obviously and they tied into the Movember do you know that that hashtag Movember I thing do indeed yes year where men are encouraged to grow mustaches well nobody could grow a mustache as incredibly um, big and uh, fluffy as Hercule Poirot's mustache in a month but I thought the tie in there and again on social media was absolutely gorgeous so so what did you think of the second trailer I didn't like it as much as the first one, Roger. Mm-hmm. And I've been wondering, I've been asking myself, why Why is that? And I think because I thought to hear the voice of Hercule Poirot as, as a narrator in the first one was so enthralling and, and took me back to a, the, the time that this is meant to be, the 1930s, but also took me back into my whole life, like everybody else around the world, I've loved the character of Hercule Poirot, no matter the, 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 the actors. And I suddenly, it felt like he was absent from the whole thing. And mm-hmm. artificially, I think he gave more prominence to the music track. Is it Depeche Mode? I mean, you're the uh, music connoisseur of, of uh, the show here. But so certainly the, the music track that was actually thought was very clever became just the one thing I could hear across the trailer. Yeah, I want to pick up on the music a little bit later, but maybe we'll carry on through Mm. the campaign. Um, Obviously, after the second trailer, it was then that they followed with an absolutely gorgeous selection of individual character posters, which they put out again across social media. I think the social media focus for this campaign is notable, isn't it? They really did make a big deal of their Twitter account. Obviously, um, at dot dot n movie uh, dotn movie death on the Nile movie was their Twitter handle, but they really did push everything out through Twitter, and these character posters or ca- they almost look like character cards again have that beautiful color palette, the costumes, the atmosphere you know images of the boat in the background absolutely you you could actually imagine that you could c- collect a series of almost like playing cards based upon these they're absolutely gorgeous i think your reference to playing cards probably right because 1930s people would be collecting baseball cards and and yeah. all the form of hero cards for me back to you, what you were saying i loved across the whole social media the use of depth i mean this is one style but they explore so many different styles where with text and characters and backdrop you had the sense of three dimensions there it reminded me of the front cover of a book, you know, which I think makes sense. Bear in mind that this is an adaptation of Agatha Christie's book. I felt I would pick this up on the shelf. Yeah, absolutely. It does yeah? You, you're absolutely right. It does look like a a, a cover of a, of a book, doesn't it? And one thing, another thing they did, which I've not come across before, although I'm sure it, it does happen, is the posters for the individual cinema chains. Now, the Regal Cinema Chain got their own um, ensemble cast poster. Again, 
a full cast poster with images of all of the characters. And again, it's absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I'm sitting here looking at it and thinking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 characters appearing in this poster. And of course, you've got the pyramids and the Sphinx in the background, which arguably is a character of its own, isn't it? The setting, Egypt, is a character. It's just that beautiful backdrop. So all of the different cinemas, including IMAX, Odeon, Regal, they all got their own posters. And again, the the, the imagery is stunning. I think that's a very important point because I would have given, uh, including streaming services, so Hulu and Disney Plus, they have their own artwork. It would give the you know their own kind of internal marketing teams the. Um, you know, they, they desire to promote it because it's not just a the same artwork as everybody else and pronk your logo here. It was yeah. unique to you. And I think as a result yeah. to which you're more likely to be active on social media. Yeah. And, and of course, after that, there were all sorts of TV spots, featurettes, the full cast, um, suspects. There was a close-up look at the costumes. That was one of the featurettes, a look at the costumes. And again, you know, the costumes are absolutely gorgeous of the period. There was even a featurette, Pascal, about the cocktails of the era. Uh, because, of course, they're drinking cocktails on this boat, uh, the Karnak going down the Nile. And there was a featurette. About it. it just gets you sucked into the period. It gets you sucked into the time, the atmosphere of the time and the costumes and the tastes and the visuals of the time i think this is one film more than any recently that really does make you feel as if you're actually there and ironically because of the um pandemic they couldn't actually film this in egypt i think actually the original intention was to film it in morocco if i if i read rightly but in the end they filmed all of it in the uk so all the backdrops that you see all the scenery was either CGI or had been um, filmed separately and dropped in. And and you can tell a few times that it's not actually accurate, but most of the time, you know, it, it's convincing enough. And I actually felt as if I was there in that in that film. It doesn't distract. For me, it was part of the charm of the movie because of the, the, mm. the colour palette. It reminded me a bit of what would have, they would have done if they'd filmed this in the 30s and 40s, which is to have a painted backdrop lit with massive projectors and actors would be in front of it. So I, I just felt it was part of the um, the magic and the, the, the charm of, of the movie. You're right, you yeah. can tell, but it, it just blends in. It belongs to the whole experience of that film. And it feels to me that we won't be able to do justice to the social media campaigns and how clever it is. You know, they use different sizes. They went back to different character profiles using different styles, different videos, using copy that was in front of the characters, sometimes was behind the characters. They even did some very old-fashioned styles of videos where you know the character turns slowly towards the camera and smiles which is kind of almost very very cheesy you don't do that anymore but actually they did yeah. do that in the 40s and 50s when they were making movies you have a whole range of recapturing almost classic cinema and of course the era of the 1930s yeah and i guess that you know this the social media campaign to me was was really good and the imagery that used in the social media campaign was really good but i think unfortunately because of those controversies because of those uh hiccups that were going on with the, with some of the cast um some of the other members of the cast it would appear didn't actually participate 
in the social media campaign as perhaps they they should have done or would have done had there not been that controversy and therefore perhaps the reach of the campaign didn't go quite as far as the filmmakers had hoped because on the whole the film hasn't been deemed to be a success pascal despite the beautiful marketing campaign that's gone with it you know they spent 18 million dollars on the marketing campaign and yet all the feedback that i've read is that they feel that the marketing campaign was was a bit of a failure. It's a shame. One thing I'm remembering as I'm listening to you is in this particular a good episode because we had a murder on the Orient Express uh, a few years prior, is how we explore the character of Hercule Poirot and mm. how we explore essentially his inner demons. And uh, there's a chapter at the very beginning filmed in black and yeah. white, which I think is kind of interesting because I wonder whether there was inspiration to do Belfast in black and white as well, where we see Hercule Poirot as a soldier during the First World War, everything that comes with it, and how that led to his slightly obsessive behaviour, but also his keen um, kind of detective mind. For me now, it feels as though the marketing campaign runs parallel to the movie as we are, so it's to be experienced. So watch the movie first, then enjoy what they've done on social media, and then go back to the movie. I don't think it's going to be the strong lead generation and audience building campaign that they were hoping for, because there's just not enough time between the announcements and the go-live date on screen and streaming. Yeah. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and you've already alluded to this, Pascal, is the music in the film now ironically uh just before i started doing the notes to this film to to the to this episode um we were watching the netflix series bridgerton i don't know whether you've come across that um, which again is set in regency uk so what you know we're talking um 1600s that sort of thing and there was this scene in a ballroom, and they're all dancing, they've all got the costumes, it's, you know, it's as gorgeous as Death on the Nile. And all of a sudden, this little orchestra in the background, which are, of course, playing violins, harps, and harpsichords, start playing a Madonna song. It was Material Girl. And it just felt, oh my goodness, I'm thinking, this is set in the 1600s, and here's Material Girl by uh, Madonna coming on, albeit played by contemporary for the time instruments so obviously it didn't have the disco beat and all of that sort of thing and throughout Bridgerton I started noticing modern songs played in the style of the time there was a Jesse J song as well um called Wrecking Ball which I, I noticed now they've done this in Death on the Nile um I mean in fact if you go back to the other film Murder on the Orient Express there was a a, a a, a track by a group called Imagine Dragons called Believer, which was heavily um, played during Death on the Nile and in, sorry, in Murder on the Ornament Express and in Death on the Nile, as you've said, Depeche Mode synthesizer heavy 1990 single, Policy of Truth, was used extensively throughout. Now, on the one hand, you think, well, that's a bit stupid, isn't it? They're using music which was, was um, anachronistic, but then on the other side of the coin, was that a subtle way of getting a younger audience to watch a film which maybe a younger audience might looked at the character cards and thought, you know, this is an older person's film. I'm not going to I'm not going to watch this. But they then watch the trailer, hear Depeche Mode in the background, and think, oh, actually, I might give that a go. What do you think? 
It's an interesting one. I, I don't find it offensive in the trailer, although, like I said, I prefer the first one where there's that, you know, it's more that Hercule Poirot than, than the song, because I'm sure, like, the, the filmmakers, you, you couldn't believe your luck when you listen to the words from that song. You know, it matches perfectly. I would be very unhappy if it had been part of the film experience, the way mm. you describe Bridgerton. I think that's just a heavy-handed direction in my view, but then what do mm. I know? My surprise from a marketing point of view is that they didn't use, actually, the amazing songs from Sister Rodita Tharp that we hear mm-hmm. in the movie played by, you know, obviously, um, the character of Salome Autoburn. I mean, the godmother of R&B and electric blues I mean, those songs and the way they are, you know, um, kind of performed with the electric guitar and the, and the singing and the dancing and so on, it's part of the experience of the movie and capture the era so, so well. And I'm certainly at a loss to understand why they wouldn't even do some short clips on social media or even introduce it as part of the, the, the marketing. It was almost as they, they wanted to keep it a secret so that people would be just surprised, delighted to hear the song obviously perform so, so well. Yeah, and I admit, you know, one of the early scenes in the film, and we're not we're not, we're not going to give away any of the uh, plot points. But one of the earliest scenes in the film takes place in a music hall, and there's a dance sequence set to this person singing, and it's really quite sensual. Mm. And again, the atmosphere is incredible. Uh, so yeah, I can I, I, I like you. I think they could have made more of that in the marketing. Talking of what they could have made more of, I mean, it's easy for you and I to, in a comfort of our kind of, you know, podcasting chairs to be critical, but I'm thinking, ah, you know, one again, it could be a time issue, but they did a great job in, on occasion, sharing uh, fan art. Uh, I saw that on, on social media. I wonder if there was a chance for them to actually do something with So In No Time To Die, which is to get a brand or a partnership with with an established brand to get more fan art to be sent and shared and maybe to get some, some winners. I mean, they did do also a very good job, which I thought was very... I was surprised because I'm thinking as a brand, the um, distribution company and the producers, they must be very busy. But when people were tweeting themselves, going to the cinema, dressed, obviously, as they tried to do so, following the advice from sort of dressed as they could in 1930s style, that was retweeted by the official Death on the Nile social network, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, I love that interactivity. That's great. And the fact that somebody would want to dress up in 1930s stuff in Art Deco st- style to go to the cinema is just glorious, isn't it? It's really get it's, it's like going to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show and dressing up in stockings and suspenders, I guess. So back to your point earlier about the filmmakers perhaps are disappointed by the box office, you know, the, the takings as they would call it for the first few weeks. I've got a strong feeling this movie is going to do very well for the remainder of this calendar year, and we're going to see people talking about it more. We're going to see more activities on social media. We're going to see more fan art. We're going to see... I wouldn't be surprised to see people even doing watch parties dressed, you know, as some of the characters and and putting things on on Twitter. So it could be one of those kind of successes where when they look back a year later, I think they'll be very pleased with um, the impact this movie is having. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the 4K Blu-ray will be an absolute must-purchase. I mean, that, to see this in in that crystal clear quality will be uh, something I will be buying straight away. 
Do you know, it's a movie that I could happily watch once a year, like many others. It feels that kind of movie. Uh, and mm. even if you know the the, 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 the anime, because I remember the storyline from the 1978 um version with Peter Houston of I kind of knew the story and I knew who was guilty but I didn't spoil it at all because once again what you see on screen is filmed in such an impeccable way and the storyline it delivered in such a wonderful way that um, yeah once a year it's definitely on my list no I absolutely agree with you you know it doesn't ruin the film for you that you know who the perpetrator is um and I, I was going to tell a story there, but if I tell the story, I'll give away who the perpetrator is, so I won't <laughs> tell that story. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that offline in the green room, Pascal. <laughs> we will. I came across a lovely article, just to wrap up on this great marketing review. Thank you for doing the research, Roger. I came across uh, an article, someone who studied the, the film and says there are many, many, many triangle, triangular symbols across the movie to be picked up, so worth watching it a second time. Do you remember the scene when actually um, Hercule Poirot is in the jazz bar and he's ordered some food and is delivered those food into little dishes and he organised them into mm. a triangular shape? Do you remember that little scene? Yes, yes, very clever. That's one of the many, many little kind of nods and hints at the pyramid throughout the film, so I'm going to watch it again now. <laughs> 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 okay everyone this was episode 74 of two geeks and a marketing podcast thank you so much for listening and watching roger and i going through the wonders of the world of marketing can i ask you to get in touch with us through SpeakPipe as well as the social networks leave your messages make suggestions make contribution to the show that would be just wonderful for us until the next one Go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.